So if you will, turn to the book of Philippians. If you're visiting today or haven't been here long, you're catching the tail end of the book of Philippians. We have, I have been preaching through it for quite some time now, but we will actually be finishing it today. So as you turn there, I'm going to pray and we'll, we'll get started. Father, I thank you again for, for a wonderful day. I thank you for the truth of how great you are and that you have revealed that to us. And I pray, God, that as we go through this last part of this book, you would reveal that to us even more and that you would cause us a desire to meditate on your glory, meditate on that which is good and true, and that you would help us apply that in our lives, that you would help that, help us make that a reality, uh, help us walk with a, in a way that would demonstrate to the world that we believe that. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. <clears throat> so if you could sum up the book of Philippians in one word, it would be encouragement. It's a very encouraging book. And if you've been here for the whole thing, you know that. If you've read it, you know that. If you could sum up the book in one sentence, I would say it like this. Cast your worries aside and rejoice in Christ. And I think we're going to see that here today. As we come to the end of this chapter 4, um, we're going to see, as Paul makes his close, closing, rejoice in Christ. Cast your worries aside. So if you're here today and you have struggled with anxiety or depression, first off, you're not alone, or else Paul wouldn't have seen the need to write these things back in this time. And you're not alone today. Many, many people struggle with these things. But by God's grace, he's given us the answer. He's given us the solution to those things. His name is Jesus. And he's going to give us some practical things today. Um, the last message as, as we, um, with, with verses 6 and 7, I'm actually going to read verses 6 and 7. So chapter 4, verses 6 and 7, he, we ended it with this. Be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. We saw there, we saw in that last message, that we are to replace our worry with prayer. We're to replace our anxiety with love for Christ and His Word and with prayer. And if we do that, we'll find a peace that passes all the natural world. It does not make sense. The peace that a Christian has does not make sense to nature. It doesn't make sense to the world. It doesn't make sense to even your natural body. But if you've ever been in distress and felt the peace of God come on you, you understand that. It is a very real thing. It doesn't make sense. How can a person go to a stake to be burned and sing a hymn? It perplexes the world. But yet it has happened time and time again. It happens now in other parts of the world pretty common. More common than what you realize, though the... Christians are being persecuted in a very real and extreme way, and yet they are still praising God through all of that. Why? 
because their anxiety has been cast aside for the love of Christ, and they have found a peace that surpasses all understanding. And that brings us to verse 8 today, where we're going to get started. He says, Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, Meditate on these things. I don't know about you, but I need this instruction. And I think we all need this instruction. The reality is in our current times, our current state, we tend to spend way too much time on the negative. But Paul's instruction here are the opposite. He says, meditate on these things. And I'm going to look at each one of them individually. He says, whatever things are true. Man, truth is an interesting thing. And I'll tell you why. It is extremely hard to find. You can turn on the news. Has anybody ever watched the news anymore? Not that many people. Most people get it through their, somehow, social media or whatever. But you can read a blog. You can listen to podcasts. You can read news articles, newspapers, magazines, whatever it is. Trying to find out what's going on in the world. And so much of it is simply mistruths, half-truths, or outright lies. There's not very much truth in the world. What is truth? How do we, so where do we go to find out what's really going on? Well, the reality is you, you probably can't find out what's really going on in the world. On the other side of the world, if you want to know, you're probably going to have to go there or send somebody that, will, that is a Christian. That, that's the only way you're really going to know. You want to know what's going on at the border? You're going to turn on the news and believe that? No. You can't. But where we can find truth is simply in God's Word. John said, sanctify them by your Word. Your Word is truth. So we're to meditate on the truths of Scripture. The truth of the Gospel. The truth of Jesus and who He is. The truth of the resurrection of Christ which has already occurred, and the resurrection of the saints, which will occur. These are all truths in the Scripture that you can meditate on. You're finding yourself anxious about what's going on in the world? Simply back up and think, well, the Scripture tells me, and this we can bank on, this we know is true. All the other stuff, you may not be able to trust it, but this you can trust. It has been proven over and over and over again For over 2,000 years, it is truth. And it tells us this. Jesus is going to return. Jesus has provided an escape from all of this evil, all of this wickedness for us. And we can find joy in that. We can find happiness. It is a cure for our anxiety when we think about Jesus. And he's going to come back. He has purchased his bride With his own blood. 
and he will come back. He doesn't put down a dowry and doesn't return for his bride. He will return. The resurrection will happen. Death has no sting any longer. These are truths that we can focus on, that we can meditate on. The next one he says is noble. Whatever things is noble. The definition of noble is possessing high or excellent qualities, venerable in speech and presence, being honorable. Think on these things. Whatever is noble, what is noble? What do we think on? Can we find something to think on that is still noble? Yes. Yes. The reality is it's probably not your president. And the harsh reality is it's probably not going to be the next one either or the one before. What things are noble? It's probably a pastor in the Amazon somewhere in the jungle struggling to walk through and preach the gospel to a lost tribe, somebody that has never heard the gospel. It may be a young man or woman out here in Ada, like I saw yesterday, handing out gospel tracts. That's noble. Is there any fanfare there? Is there anybody putting a spotlight on them? No. But it is noble. And there's many, many noble things going on within the body of Christ right now as we speak. It can be as simple as somebody coming alongside and helping with children. It can be somebody preaching. It can be somebody praying. As we come together for prayer meeting and we have prayer requests go forward and those prayers go out and they continue to go out that week, that is noble. Think on these things. He says, just, just. There's two verses of two uses of the word just that I think, think fits the context here. Um, and they both apply. So in a moral sense, just means upright, honest, having principles of rectitude or conforming exactly to the laws and to the principles of rectitude and social conduct, equitable in the distribution of justice, as like a just judge, right? So when we're thinking about just in that context, it is man and man. Whatever things are just between humans, right? Between people. Upright, honest, being straightforward. Living according to the golden rule, right? Man, Paul's message this morning in equipping our you, you can think about a lot of problems we have, and a lot of times one verse of Scripture would cure it. And he was talking about the CEOs having just such a separation. What I was thinking of when he was talking about this is there's just such a separation of these elite people, so to speak, and everybody else. And all most of that problem would be solved if they would just... Treat others as they want to be treated. I think he actually even said that. Treat others as you want to be treated. That's just. Back in Philippians, esteem others as higher than yourself. That's not a real popular thing among the corporate elite. They don't esteem the lowly workers as higher than themselves, right? 
But that's what we're called to do. No matter what your position you've been given in this life, that doesn't make you, it does not give you the right to esteem yourself higher than another ever. Another image bearer of God. Never. So in a moral sense, that's just. Man on man, plain square, acting correctly. But then also, it's between man and God. Right? What is just between man and God? Righteous. Living righteously. It's influenced by a regard to the laws of God. Or living in exact conformity. To the divine will. Whatever things are just, think on those things. And then he says, pure or chaste in word and deed. The opposition of that would be contaminated, filthy, dirty, right? He says, think on that which is pure. And I thought of this what kind of obscenity do we set our minds on? What kind of languages and images do we listen to and see? What little things do we allow to contaminate our thoughts? You know, the Bible says to take every thought captive. And it is easy to let your mind wander into filth. It is easy to let your mind let little things in and contaminate purity. But Paul says to think on that which is pure. Focus on that which is pure, that which has no contamination. And that goes back to truth. What is pure? The Word of God. What is pure? Jesus, the Holy Spirit, God the Father. Those, are, those things are pure. Think on those things. And he says lovely. Those things that cultivate and increase love, friendship, and amity among people. Lovely. It's a word that's not used a lot anymore. Oh, that's lovely. It means it's really, really, it means it increases love, right? It's the opposite of contention and strife. We need to remember as we go through these things that your mouth, your speech, and your words will give away your thoughts. Right? Your actions will give away your thoughts. The Bible says out of the abundance of the mouth, or out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Right? You don't have to talk to somebody very long to find out what's in their heart. You can figure it out real quick. What is it that they want to talk about? What is it that they're passionate about? There was a guy, he used to be a custodian at the school. And he didn't talk. Like, I thought he was mute for a while. I would try to talk to him, and he'd just kind of, mm, mm. And then one time I found out he raced lawnmowers. Yes, that's a thing. Of course it's a thing. We're in America. <laughs> Racing lawnmowers. I found out he was, he was actually pretty good at it. And I got to talking to him about that. And, man, this guy, all of a sudden the words started coming. Why? Why? Because that's what he was passionate about. And as Christians, we need to be aware of this. And so what we're thinking about is what we will talk about. And so when we talk about lovely, 
and the opposite of contention and strife. What's coming out of our mouth? Is it things that we can find bad about the people that we know? The word gossip, I don't think, is a harsh enough word. We, you know, we've, we've used it in ways like, ah, oh, she's a gossip. And you think about that lady at wherever, the hair salon, just talking about everybody. But the reality is gossip's much more severe than what we sometimes say it is. When you're talking about all these negative things and you're the opposite of pure and holy and lovely, it's causing strife. Then what happens is if you're talking about all those things, you become the contamination. Your mind... I've, I've, I've witnessed this with myself, and I repent of it. But even when, not only are you the one speaking, but when you're the one hearing, you will be influenced on what you think about somebody else based on a gossip that you heard. Whether it's true or not, it influences how you treat and how you react to other people. And so gossip goes both ways. And when we're talking about whatever things are lovely, that's what we're to meditate on. That's also what we're to talk about. That's also what we're to listen to. And shut that other down. Stop with the gossip. Stop with the negative thinking and talking. Let's focus on these things like Paul says. He says a good report, well spoken of, non-scandalous. A good reputation among men. Do you know it's important as Christians that we have a good reputation among unbelievers? Not for the sake of having a good reputation. We don't want to compromise truth because sometimes the unbelievers will steal our reputation. They'll lie and whatever they have to. It happened, it's happened throughout history because men hate truth. But for the most part, you will have a good reputation among men if you live Christ-like. And this is why. Because all these other things you're going to be doing. And you're going to be treating people fair. You're going to be treating people how you want to be treated. And you're going to hold them up. And you're going to come to their aid when needed. When you can help, you're going to help. When you're going to have a business deal with them, you're going to play fair with them. Uh, Paul's sermon last week, he talked about the, I mean, he was going through Laban. So we had lots of examples of what not to do. Right? And we don't want to be that way. We want to have that good reputation. We want to, and non-scandalous. But then as we as Christians, it becomes easy sometimes to talk more about the ones that have fallen than the ones who still stand. And if you don't think I'm guilty of this, you haven't been around me very much because I am guilty. And this was convicting as I was studying this, as I've been reading this. It is convicting. A pastor falls in Colorado, none of us know, and we talk about it for two weeks. There may be 20 in the same town that are standing faithfully preaching the word of God and we don't know who they are and we don't talk about them. It's the same way here. A pastor falls in Ada. Something goes wrong and we talk about them. And yet, there's faithful men, there's faithful women to the word of God everywhere we don't, and we don't bring them up. We have to be better. I have to be better. You have to be better. We have to think on these good things. Remember those of good report. 
the positive things that's happening in God's kingdom. And the positive and upright in God's people. Those are who we need to be thinking on. Those are who we need to be praying for. And we need to be praying for the other as well. But our meditation needs to be on that which is good. And then he says virtue. A virtue is a particular moral excellence. It is a voluntary, voluntary obedience to truth. And I thought about that. that. That was the definition. That's Webster's, the original Noah Webster's definition of virtue. A volunteer, voluntary obedience to truth. You, don't, you realize you don't get a voluntary obedience to truth? It doesn't happen apart from the Holy Spirit. We, as human beings, will submit to truth sometimes. You'll do right apart from God because of afraid of punishment or been taught that way and conditioned that way. But the reality is the voluntary reaction to truth, the only way that you voluntarily go and do that which is good is if God does it for you. He does it in you. And praise God that he does because we all can thank him. If you are in Christ, if you have the Holy Spirit, then you know you've done this. You have a yearning for truth. You have a yearning for doing what's right. You have a yearning for God's word and pleasing God the Father. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is bearing witness with your spirit. It's called regeneration. It's being born again. It's changing that heart. It's took out the heart of stone, giving you a heart of flesh. And now, as a Christian, you have that. You have a voluntary obedience to truth. But it's not because of you. It's not because you're so great. It's because God is so great. But it's also the Christian's proper reaction to the hearing of truth. You know, there's a lot of things... Social media has, if nothing else, has made me aware of thought processes that are out there. Because people will tend to put a little more on there than they would speaking in person. So you can kind of see how people think some. And there's ideas that if you don't believe this particular truth of Scripture then you're probably not saved. And, and I've seen some of that, and that's not necessarily true unless it's the actual essential doctrines of the gospel. But I do believe this. I believe that when a Christian, a truly born-again Christian, is exposed to something true, eventually they will believe it. They don't have a choice not to. Now, they might fight against it. I fought against some truths in my life, and... Because I didn't understand them. But once that is exposed, the Holy Spirit teaches His people. Right? He teaches us through the Word, through preaching of the Word, through other teachers, through other means. But He always will teach us and you will continue to learn um, those truths. And then He says, Praiseworthy. One who is worthy of praise. God and what he is doing through men. May we meditate on the work that God is doing in our lives and in the lives of our brothers and sisters in Christ, no matter where they are.
He says, meditate, think on these things. Right? Meditate on these things. Revolve them in your minds. Seriously consider them and reason with yourselves about them in order to put them into practice. And that's the goal. And this, if you don't know, this is the opposite of what the world does. This is the opposite of what Satan does. They want to focus on the negative. They want to focus on the immoral, on the filth, right? You can talk to a lot of people and they're like, why does the news always show that ne- all that negative? That's all they want to show is negative. Well, they're, they're not stupid. If nobody was watching it, they would quit doing that. And they would only show the positive, but they show what people watch. Why? Why is the world so negative? Because the world is lost. And that's where we come in, and that's why it's so important that we meditate on these things, that we ponder and think and study on all these truths, on all these good things, Why? So that we can be the beacon of light in this lost world. So that we can be a beacon of hope in this lost and dying world. There's a lot of people struggling. There's a lot of people depressed right now. Probably the depression numbers, I think, are higher than they've ever been. There's two reasons for that. One is there's a lot more diagnosis happening than there's ever been, but there's also a lot more sadness. Why? Because people are becoming more and more self-looking at their own self and their own situations. And here we are. We have someone that they can look to. We can show them Christ. We can show them hope. We can show them a better way. We can show them a better future. Not just in this world, but in the world to come. And then in verse 9 he says, The things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do... And the God of peace will be with you. Paul says, I gave you an example to follow. Follow it. Now remember, Paul's writing this from prison. But we cannot forget that. Paul's situation here is not great. Matter of fact, we wouldn't even say it's good. Matter of fact, if it was happening right now, we would be all gathering together to pray for his release. But he's saying, no, no. Watch me. Watch how I am in in a terrible situation, stuck in Rome, in prison, but yet I'm thinking on all of these good things. By the power of God, I can think past my current state, and I can think about all the good, all the pure, all the truth, all the lovely, right? Look to me for an example. Let us think on these gifts God has given. And let us act like we believe them. We say we're believers. We say we believe the truth. And then so many times we walk around like we don't. Let's act like it. He says in verse 10, But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, that now at last your care for me has flourished again. Though you surely did care, but you lacked opportunity. So remember here, Paul was at different points he was talking about how the church in Philippi had aided him. They'd sent aid. Prison in that time wasn't like prison is today, right? What he got to eat was what people provided for him. If he needed a cloak, 
a cloak. He wrote to Timothy later, um, send me my cloak. I'm cold. They didn't give him clothes. They didn't give him food. He had to have that provided from the outside. And he said, I'm thrilled that it's flourished again. And for some reason, they had been sending support, and then for some reason, they had stopped. And he says they lacked opportunity, which kind of looks like there was probably a time where they couldn't get the whatever it was to him, the money or the food or whatever they were sending to him, which, it, you know, things were a little tougher to transport at that time. But he said he knew, he knew that they cared. And then he's rejoicing that they started back up again. But he says, look at that in there. Well, in the next verse, you'll see, he says, Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state that I am to be content. When he's saying he appreciated, he was so thrilled that they were bringing, that they were given again, it wasn't because the physical need that he, it met so much as it was, but it showed that they were once again flourishing in a spiritual way. So when the aid quit coming, Paul, this is an incredible man of God. When the aid quit coming, Paul was concerned not for his lack of things, his lack of food. And when we say lack, none of us have ever experienced a lack like what we're talking about here. But he wasn't concerned about that. He was concerned about them. Like, uh-oh, wonder why they stopped sending. I hope everything's okay there, right? I hope that there's not problems spiritually within the church at Philippi. They've been so solid. They've been so consistent. Now, And so when it started coming back again, he rejoiced, not because he had the stuff, although I'm sure, I'm, I'm extremely sure he enjoyed it and was glad for it. But he was more encouraged because he saw them flourishing. That's a, it's kind of a botany term. It kind of brings about the picture of a tree blooming in the spring, right? So he's seeing them coming back. They're seeing the blooms and the, the fruit coming back out of the church at Philippi. In verse 11, he says, Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. He says, I know how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. He's explaining here that he's learned through the teaching of the Holy Spirit and through experience that his circumstances don't matter. He's learned contentment. If you want to know what maturity looks like within a Christian, find contentment. Find one that is content, and you'll find one that is mature. He says, if God provides much, I'm content. He said, if God provides little, I'm content. If I'm, and when he says hungry, he's not talking about hungry like I am whenever, you know, Sunday afternoon. He's talking about hungry, starvation, like I've never experienced. He says, if I'm hungry, I'm content. If I'm full, I'm content. In other words, throughout Paul's ministry, he has experienced both. He's experienced abundance. And he's also experienced a lack. And he's saying it doesn't matter as long as the gospel goes forth. He can be almost starving and poor and in need of a cloak and still be content. How? This again, the world doesn't understand this. 
The world sees this and how can you be so happy when you're in the poorhouse? Right? How can you be so happy you're starving to death, you're in jail, and nobody's even bringing you anything to eat? Well, look at verse 13, the most misquoted, misused verse in all of Scripture. He says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I'm not sure this verse would be quite so popular if everyone realized it was basically talking about having nothing. It's used the opposite of what it means so many times. Well, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, so I'm going to get rich. Or I'm going to hit a home run. Man, it's, a, it's definitely the most popular among the FCA groups, right? I can score a touchdown. I can dunk a basketball. Mm, but you can't. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, except for that. Well, it must not be what it's talking about then. No, it's not. Read the context. Right? He's saying, I can starve, I can be hungry, and I can still glorify God, and I can still preach the gospel, because it's Christ who gives me strength to find contentment in that situation. That's what he's talking about. That's how Paul can be content in all things. That's how we can have the ability to think, meditate, and conform our actions to verse 8. When it says meditate on all these good things, how can we push out all the evils, all the the contamination of the world. How? How can we do that? Through Christ who gives me strength. That's what that verse is about. And yes, it is a great verse. And so put right Philippians 4.13 on whatever. But I, actually what would be better is if you wrote Philippians 8-13. through 13. And get the context of this thing and what God can really do in your life is much, much greater than dunking a basketball. By Christ, Paul has strength in this terrible situation. And as we see the end here, we're going to see even more so about the glory of God and his plan for his people. So look at verse 14. He says, Nevertheless, you have done well that you shared in my distress. And 15, he says, Now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving, but you only. For even in Thessalonica you sent aid once and again for my necessities. So there's a lot of things, there's, there's a lot of different sermons you could preach out of this. You could preach a sermon on just giving and sending and missionaries and all those things. But I I, want to get down to the very practical Christianity here in these verses. The church in Philippi is being praised for sending aid to Paul financially when no other church did. They're being praised for sending help to the one who is taking the gospel out we've heard a lot of people talk about it in the missionary world. Everybody's not called to go to the mission field. Well, let me rephrase that. Everybody's not called to go to a foreign mission field. We're all living in a mission field. And yes, all Christians are called to that field in some way. But we're not all called to go overseas or into another land or to not have a job and go preach the gospel. However, we... So what they would say is you're either going to go down in the well or you're going to hold the rope for somebody who does, right? 
and both are equally important. Okay, so we got to keep that in mind. It takes both, right? You can't have somebody go unless they're sent. Well, somebody has to send them. And somebody has to give support throughout that ministry and through, through prayer as well. And so that's what Paul's thanking them and he's praising them for doing that. The reality is it takes resources for the gospel to go forth. It takes resources for the kingdom of God to expand. And now, where do those resources come from? I mean, God is all-powerful, right? He has the resources, but he uses his people to provide them. And so we, as Christians, are to provide the resources. So the question you must ask yourself individually is this. Am I contributing to the work of God? Isn't that kind of a Christianity 101? You're a Christian. Now you have now been brought into the army of God. You've been enlisted as a soldier. What are you contributing? And the reality is we all need to be contributing in two ways. You need to be contributing in preaching the gospel, sharing the gospel, spreading the good news of Jesus Christ, and also financially so that others can do that as well. The resources are needed. So am I contributing to the work of God financially? And if I am, is it adequate? Are you flourishing the way the the Philippians were? Or are you in the dead of winter? Or are you somewhere in between? Because the reality is this. If you're not flourishing when it comes to your giving, you're actually missing out on a blessing from God. And I'm not talking about if you give some, you're going to receive tenfold or threefold or even that amount back. You may not. It may hurt. You may not have as many luxuries as you now have. Boy, this doesn't preach in the Word of Faith churches, does it? But I'm going to tell you this. You will be blessed. You'll be blessed by God. You'll have, do you think the Philippians, when they stepped into heaven, do you think they were regretful that they sent a little money? No. No, they were blessed. They were praised. But when they got this letter from Paul and he praised them, said, thank you for sending aid and sending my aid. Do you think they were upset? Man, I wish, we, I wish we would have had that extra sandwich. No, you will be blessed. You will see the work of God go forth. And you're going to see it even more here in just a minute. So I don't want to get ahead of that. But that's the reality. We need to evaluate our state. And the reality is this, when it comes to giving... Well, let me just read verse 17. He says, Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. Paul's saying, I don't, I, I'll survive. God will provide. And I, have you ever been around somebody like that that just doesn't worry about money? Even though you're looking at them going, Man, if I were you, I would be like worried to death. And they're just, Well, God will provide. And you're just, Man. I mean, that is, a, that is a mature attitude. That is a very Christ-like attitude. And it's, it's encouraging to be around those people. And that's what Paul's saying. I am very thankful for your gift. Not so much for the gift, but what? The fruit that abounds to your account? 
He just told us he's content whether he receives the gift or not. He trusts God for that, but he's thankful because he knows that those Christians in Philippi will be blessed because of their pure heart giving. And that's the key in it. Whatever things are pure, whatever things are noble, right? You're giving if it's pure, if it's noble, if it's from a pure heart and not out of um, some sort of envy, like what if you're going to plant a seed and you're going to get tenfold? If, you're, if it's some sort of investment that you're trying to make to make more money, it's not, going to do, it, it's not going to do any good. But if you're giving out of pure heart because you want to see God's kingdom expanded, then there will be blessing for you. But the blessing is spiritual, not carnal. The relationship between you and your God will be better. The relationship between you and your brethren will be better. You'll be blessed by God. That's why he was encouraged. And then verse 18, he said, Indeed, I have all and abound. I am full. Having received from Epaphroditus the things sent from you, a sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. So he says, your gift was well-received. I'm so thankful you seen it or you sent it because now I'm full. Whatever it was, we don't know exactly what it was, but it, it took care of Paul's physical needs. And so he was thankful for the gift, but the greater blessing was that it was pleasing to God. And he was encouraged that this church that he had planted was being faithful. And then look at verse 19. He says, And my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Jesus Christ. And this is an important aspect to remember. When giving, when tithing, um, any kind of financial support of the ministry, we have to remember that it's all God's to begin with, right? God has provided me with my job. He's provided me with the skills to do my job, and he's provided you with the skills necessary to do a job. And we're all different. We all have different skill sets. We all have different desires and work abilities. But he has provided each one of us, and he always will. God is the one who supplies it in the first place. I always remember this. I was a very young Christian, and Ronnie Qualls would talk about his his kids were still in the home, pretty young, teenage, maybe a little younger. He would talk about how they would stop at a gas station or something, and he would buy, they'd want some chips, you know, and he would buy them a bag of chips. And then we would get back in the car driving down the road, and he'd say, hey, give me one of those chips. And they'd say, get your own. I'm thankful my kids have never done that. <laughs> He's like, I bought them. They are mine, and I'm asking you for a few. That's how it is with us. God owns it all. And if we can't be thankful for that and give back to him, what are we doing? We've lost it. We've lost touch with reality at that point. God is the one who supplies it. And we're just stewards. And any way that we can give that back to please God, we should want to. We should want to. And so basically, anytime any of that really just comes down to trusting God. Do you trust Him or not? Because if you do, do what He asks. 
And then in verse 20, he says, Now to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. And so Paul begins to close his letter, and he does so reminding us of the glory of God forever. No matter what happens, no matter how we respond, no matter how the world responds, God will be glorified simply because he is glorious. And he will receive that glory. Verse 21, he says, Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brethren who are with me greet you. Greet every saint. Be no respecter of persons. Strive to make yourself friendly and greet one another no matter who they are. No matter of age. No matter of any other thing. Position in society. You know, if you're in a job and there's separations, societal separations, strive not to fall into those. Right? You're no better than the janitors. That's, what, that's this morning when we heard about those CEOs. If they, they just don't have any compassion, Dylan mentioned it, they don't have any reality that the only reason you're where you are is because somebody helped you get there. That's the reality. God has placed you there. You don't recognize that God, but as Christians, we do. And we are, none of us have gotten to a position in this life unless we've had help from God and from other people, right? So let's not forget that and let's not act like we're somehow better than anybody else. Even the sinners, right? We used to have a guy over at Stratford when we would have church. He would wander in. You remember him. And he was um, extremely, um, his brain was just basically fried from drugs or alcohol or I don't know exactly what it was. Ever since I knew him, he was, he was out of his mind, basically. And he would come in and it was always something weird. He'd walk into the church, and if something weird would happen, then he'd usually walk out. And I remember Bob Chandler stood up afterwards one time, and he said, But for the grace of God, there go I. And we can all say that today. So let's remember that. When he says, Greet every saint, greet every saint. Don't be respecter of people. And then he says, The brethren who are with me, <coughs> greet you. There were saints with Paul in Rome. Remember from earlier in the letter, he mentioned sending Timothy to them. So Timothy was probably with him when he wrote this. And we also know that Epaphroditus was there who had brought him the gift. And I suspect that maybe Epaphroditus brought the letter back when he went back. Paul wrote him a letter and sent it back, but I don't know for sure. But he's saying, we all, we all greet you. I mean, it's just kind of a salutation type deal. But then look at verse 22. All the saints greet you, but especially those who are of Caesar's household. Flip back over to chapter 1, verse 12. Remember, there was a certain amount of fear. The Philippian brethren had a fear of if Paul gets killed, what's going to happen? They were worried. And that's why he's saying, cast your anxiety aside, put it on Christ, because they were concerned about Paul. And you can understand why. He's in prison at Rome. Caesar does what he wants, right? If he wants to kill him, he's going to kill him. If he wants to let him go, he's going to let him go. But he says this in 
chapter 1, verse 12. But I want you to know, brethren, that the things which happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. And he went on to say that the household guard, the Roman soldiers that guarded Caesar, got to hear the gospel. But now, in the end, he doesn't, and he doesn't even make a big deal out of it. This is incredible. He says, those who are of Caesar's household, the saints greet you, especially those who are of Caesar's household. We see that some of Caesar's family got saved. Why? Because Paul got arrested. Because Paul got mistreated. Because Paul went through trials People who otherwise never would have heard the gospel or would have been difficult to hear the gospel, would have been difficult to get to Caesar's household. The lowly Christians, you didn't have Facebook back then, and hopefully they see it online. The lowly Christians were not rich, as we can see. They weren't powerful. They didn't have positions of prominence to get in there and say, hey, by the way, I want to tell you about Jesus. No, they never would have heard it. The Caesar's household didn't intermingle with the peasants, right? So what's God do? He says, now I have people in there who will be mine. I have lost sheep in the household of Caesar, so I am going to cause them, I'm going to cause Caesar to arrest Paul. I'm going to put him in the household, he's going to put him in prison in the house of Caesar. The guards are going to hear the gospel, and these people are going to hear the gospel. And they're going to be saved. Can you just imagine? Maybe it's Caesar's kids, right? Hey, that guy, look at him. Kind of strange looking. He's real short. So I suspect Paul was pretty short compared to Romans. Let's let's go talk to him. He's and he, they go in there and he's just extremely nice. And they're like, man, this guy's. And he's just treating them without respect, with not respecter of persons, right? And, and they're just going, hey, have you guys talked to that guy Paul down there? Man, he's saying things like we've never heard before. And they're going down. I mean, what? how did it happen? We don't know, but we know this. Because of Paul's persecution, members of Caesar's house got saved. And there's two main things that I think we want to, I want to get across that comes out of that. Number one, God has no barriers to rescuing his people. There is no mountain too tall. There's no canyon too wide or there's no palace too high for God to say, nope. I am going to set my affection on you, whether it's President Biden, whether it's President Trump, or whether it's the Caesar or the Pope or anybody else. If God decides to save them, he will save them. And he will use his people in all kinds of manner to do it. And we can be encouraged by that. We can be encouraged that as long as somebody's alive, they can be saved. The second thing is, Whatever our situation is, we need to learn to meditate on the truth, on the good, on the perfect will of God, because He will use that situation for His glory and for His purpose and for His kingdom. So no matter what the situation, whether it's persecution or whether it's just natural trauma, right? Because we're still living in a fallen world. We still have sickness. We still have car wrecks. We still have persecution. 
We still have many things that go wrong because of this fallen world, but God has made it a promise to his people, to Christians, that all things work together for good to the glory of God for those who love him. So no matter what your situation, look, meditate on the good, meditate on the truth, meditate on those things, on the gospel, and figure out, seek after God and how he's going to use this for good. I have a friend, and I'm going to tell this and then then we'll close. I have a friend. I, I, I haven't talked to him in a long time, but I went to college with him. And uh, on New Year's Eve, his son was murdered. It was a, I don't even know the whole story. The only story that I've gotten was from the news, so I think you understand from earlier what I think about that. But it was a bad situation, bad bad place to be. Um and it got bad, and somebody shot him. He got shot and killed. I've been watching this friend of mine on Facebook, and he's never, he's never been particularly outspoken about Christianity much. But all of a sudden, he is. And I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I, I can't say I know well enough to know whether who's saved and who's not saved. But this much I know, it has turned him and his wife around in their in what they consider important. And I pray that remains. But even a situation as harsh as that, God will get glory. Good can come out of evil and wicked things. God will redeem those situations. And as we see, well, I mean, if, as Paul goes into prison, we see the household of Caesar get saved. And if God can do that, he can do anything, which we know, we know he can. And then in verse 23, he says, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. And that brings us to a close with Paul's closing. It brings us to a close of a very encouraging book. If you find yourself falling into depression, falling into anxiety, pick up the book of Philippians and read it and meditate on it. Because it certainly is going to help point you to truth and to good, to virtuous, lovely things to pull you out of all of that. Let's pray. Father, thank you, Lord, for what a wonderful God you are. How undeserving we are for your mercy, how undeserving we are for your grace, how undeserving we are for your love, and yet you still bestow those things upon us. Let us learn to meditate on that. Let us learn to think on the good things, the positive things, the the lovely things, mostly on your gospel, your glory, Lord. And let us walk that out so that other people will see it. And let us tell others about that. Lord, help us to find the good in our situations. Help us to see your plan. Teach us to trust you in all those things. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.